Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. We're discussing the newest episode of Star Trek Discovery, People of Earth. I am Kevin, one of your hosts, and my other host here. And I am the other host, and my name is Ethan. <clears throat> and I'm looking forward to discussing this episode. Yes, but we're a little behind schedule because of your damn chess game. Yes, I was the playing an, an that, intense but... chess game. Yep. No, they do. So, <clears throat> I was playing a chess game. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I thought I was done for. They had a queen over on my side and some other pieces, like, assisting the queen in its attack. And I held it off, and I wound up actually getting check a few times on um, my opponent's queen. It wound up in a draw, which I was happy with because I thought I was done for about halfway through. So, I feel good about it. Yep. And here's another weird update on the chess. I think it's weird. I was uh, watching a, this YouTuber who I watch, uh, chess guy. Um, maybe I was watching him on Twitch. I don't know. But he um, was joined for a lesson by someone who has been following his channel and uh, using his system. And it was uh, Gordon Hayward of the Boston Celtics that was joined to get a chess lesson on the YouTube channel, which was kind of interesting. Interesting. So he's on chess.com, and he even said his username, so I can challenge Gordon Hayward to uh, chess matches now. Although he's better than me. Maybe one day. So I should. Maybe one day I'll attempt to get into this, but there's just I've got so many video games to play. I can't be playing. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, be, any, I can't be exercising my mind right now. Yeah, anytime I can show you the basics. I mean, that's all you need to know is like how the pieces move, and that's yeah. like. That's the first step. Once you know that, you can just sit on that for a while. I don't know if we discussed this on the show when we were beginning these personal updates when you began talking about chess. But one of the things I said, I love that you're playing at chess.com. And the reason I love that is because (laughs) I could be totally wrong on this. It just sounds like when the internet was new and it was becoming like, and it was beginning to show up in everybody's homes, like in the early to mid 90s. I so believe that like chess.com was one of like the first sites of the internet that you could just go and just play chess because there was or really probably, nothing else to do on the internet back then. You probably couldn't even play chess. You could probably just look at text games, you know, like yeah. just the notations of the game, like classic games probably. Yeah, like I, I'd imagine maybe at some point if you could play chess on there in the early days, it would have just been like done in like DOS or something like that it just would have been very very basic very very rudimentary yeah yeah it's it's fun actually on the boards that they have this you can pick like the super basic one and it's probably what it used to look like it's almost like an 8-bit chess board or yeah more or less than that it's like a atari 2600 level yeah like like it's, it's like an 8-bit 8-bit yeah that was, that's what i imagine i just imagine like chess.com was a site that probably has been around yeah so no like it makes sense it's so bad and uh, it's I gotta admit, so it's a really really good site. And they just added something new. I'm gonna give them a little free plug here. Maybe they'll sponsor the show one day. Um, they um, so it used to be you played against a computer and you just picked the level of difficulty, mm-hmm. one to ten. And now they have this thing where they have these computer characters that you can oppose that have different playing styles and different levels. So it's it's much much more fun to play the computer now. Before it was just Either the computer would make errors that no human would ever make, or it would just destroy you. That's the way I felt. 
So it's nice that um, uh, it's a much more enjoyable process playing the computer. So basically one day you could envision me saying at the top of the show, this podcast is brought to you by chess.com. Um, actually, probably not, because they already have like yeah. the number two player in the world. And <laughs> right. They'll probably soon have uh, Gordon Hayward, so I think they'll do it okay. Yeah. Yeah, one day. I mean, I, I'm sure one day I'll take an interest. Yeah, well, if you ever come over here in person, I'll have a bo- I always have a board set up, so maybe that will intrigue you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, it's... Like, just once again playing video games i the new demo for the demo for hyrule warriors age of calamity came out the other day and it's every bit as awesome as i was hoping it would be and aside from that i went back to play on ps4 death stranding which i hated initially but i decided to give it another chance and i'm very slowly getting into it it's still i'm still having issues but I'm playing it with a little bit more of an open mind right now. So, okay. yeah. nice. This is the... I know you don't have a PS4 yet, but this is the... Uh, if, you, if you're familiar. This is the video game with Norman Reedus. Oh, okay. Yeah, I saw the ads or something. Yeah. So. And I hear that your video game, the one with Keanu Reeves, is um, delayed. Yep, Cyberpunk. It's not, not by much, though. <clears throat> and it's fine, wrong. because... That game and Hyrule Warriors were actually coming out a day a day apart, so okay. I knew that there would have been a struggle there. Hyrule Warriors is staying on schedule, so I'll have a good month with that before I hop over to Cyberpunk. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Keanu Reeves—that's a big selling point. Yeah, yeah, it's it's I guess <laughs> I mean for for us non-hardcore gamers, it is. Yeah, yeah. So, but so people of Earth. Lost, what do you think of this title? Because it's it kind of fun. It's like a classic phrase of, you know. Yeah, when I first heard films. it, when I first heard this was the episode title, the first thing I thought of was, I won't sidetrack too much. Conan O'Brien said this when he well, like made his announcement that he was leaving the Tonight Show. Back in like 2010, he oh. started off his announcement with "People of Earth." <clears throat> yeah. And I don't know why but that's where my yeah. head went, but yeah, I think it's because like when he yeah. said it, well, like, sort Jesus. Of, yeah, yeah, it sort of is this classic when an alien lands and you know, in the old like Twilight Zone or Twilight Zone era um, yeah. space films, alien films, it would that's how they would address people of Earth. Yep, I come in peace with tidings yep. from another galaxy, etc. etc. They would have said that in the original series, I bet. Like I could hear the yeah. Organians saying something like that. Tell your so. people of Earth. So <clears throat> how were you feeling about this episode? How was I feeling after watching it? I mean, yeah. How do you okay. feel about the episode? I feel like my big picture impressions are that I liked the the story was fine and I enjoyed it fine. Hmm. I didn't really enjoy the emotional moments. Yep. And those scenes didn't really land for me. I agree. And we've we've had uh, this discussion before with, with prior episodes. 
Yes, yes. And yeah. even the ones between characters that I know and like, I just didn't wasn't feeling them. There was something felt weird about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. But I liked the story. It was fine. And I thought that, once again, it it, it kept the Starfleet. It, it, it fit with the theme that the show has established for us. Yeah, I think... I it's it's a it's it's a somewhat mixed bag for me, but I I'm on the exact same wavelength with you. I like what it did as far as like world building and establishing what's going on and moving the needle on this mystery. But yeah, I agree. I do feel like a lot of these emotional moments were just not working. And I know we had used this phrase last season to describe this, but I think we got it from somewhere else. So I, I forget where we heard it from. So I forgive me if I'm not quoting the right source, but it was the show seems to suffer from a, from these unearned emotional moments. It's I totally agree. And yeah, the biggest one being, of course, Arium's death. Of course, yeah, absolutely. That's the quintessential. <clears throat> yeah, the episode begins with her getting reunited with the crew. Gives us a little bit of a flashback of what she was doing and what she was doing the moment Discovery first arrived. But it really begins with her being reunited with the crew. And right away, it's meant to be this sort of big, sweeping emotional scene. I'm not feeling it just yet. And I I like what you said, is it the year thing? But I also thought to myself, what if... What if they kept Michael separated from the crew, like, all season? Or, like, maybe through the first half of the season? Yeah. Right? That would have been nice, but the show doesn't do that. I, I just... To me, I think, had had this scene happened maybe five, six, seven episodes in, I, I think it, there would have been a lot more emotional weight to it, because me, as the viewer, would have wanted them to... To find each other, I yeah. really wanted Michael to find Discovery and vice versa. Right, so, where we only really it's been one episode. Right, we only feel that separation. I mean, it's two episodes, but at the same time, oh yeah, it's it's still. I think to your point, it feels like kind of maybe one episode. I, like I know what you mean. They had uh, the time lapse bit of Michael, and you notice her hair was different in every single flash forward. Yes, I did. That was interesting. Yep. I guess she just likes to change her hair. I mean, it's just something we have to accept. I mean, every every form of art uses some way to sort of show the passage of time. And apparently that's the route they chose for this one. Um, but I, yeah. I liked your idea from, a few, from last week where you just thought that... Cause, and it goes back to had they had Michael been separated longer than that, yes. she would have, you would have shown her aged. Yeah, maybe, maybe she has some gray hairs now or something like that. I would have loved that. Yeah, I think it would have been great. I think it would have been fascinating if they had done that. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, it was good that they were reunited. I just wish there was more. There had been some more emotional weight to it. I didn't have enough time. I feel like as a viewer, I didn't have enough time to miss them, to miss them yeah. being together. Also, I felt that a couple things that I found interesting about it. One. You had everyone was happy to see her at the transporter room, and Giorgio was off to the side, yeah, watching. Yeah. That was interesting. And then the Tilly scene with Tilly and Michael—that one, 
I just felt like it just like didn't work. Well, so I don't even know that it was the missing of the episodes or like the length of part. I just felt like, ooh, this is just not a great scene. The Giorgio scene interested me because Giorgio made it such a thing to find to need to find Mike to prioritize finding mm-hmm. Michael in the first episode, and yet for some reason that payoff when Michael finally arrives doesn't seem to match up with like, why was Giorgio so concerned with getting Michael back on board that when she's finally on board, it's like, Oh, okay. I'm just well, going to walk. I wasn't expecting her to walk up and hug her, but like something, it just didn't feel like it aligned with that properly. I think maybe what we talked about last week, how it's Giorgio. She must have an ulterior motive. Yep. Probably. And it reminds me of the scene where they were walking in the hallway, Giorgio and Michael. Yeah. And she said, I can see it in you. You've had freedom, and you can't follow these rules anymore. Yeah. So it's almost like she's planting the seed a little bit. The Join me. So I like the Tilly scene, right? But so I have I have a different observation of, so than you. I mean, as far as I didn't look at it as her reunion with Michael. Um, I mean, I thought it was fine. But I was still feeling like, yeah, this is, I mean, this is, again, this is like emotional, this is an unearned emotional moment for me. Because don't forget, yeah, because yeah. when, but the thing is, like, when Michael reunites with Tilly, because my question in that scene was really, because Tilly was putting these Starfleet badges on the wall and sort of memorializing the people they lost, and I was thinking, and I was more concerned with myself saying, who is she memorializing? Exactly. Right? Because. Yeah. At this point, Michael has already informed the crew of the burn and what she knows and the status of Starfleet. And then suddenly Tilly is all upset, right? Tilly's upset because it means that, along with the rest of the crew, potentially generations of their family, their descendants have essentially been wiped out as a result of this, possibly. Even though there's a, there's a thousand years later, yeah, right. And at the very least, all, everyone they knew and were friends with and family is dead just because of 960 years passing. Right. So, that, and that's where I was a little confused. I thought to myself, like, so, like, it's almost like there were three things going on. Like Tilly, who on the first of all, who on the Discovery are you memorializing with hanging the badges on the wall? Because I don't recall yes. in the battle of with control, like there was somebody there, then they died and. Do you know what I mean? Like, there was nothing yeah. like that that I recall. Mm-hmm. She was suddenly emotional about the burn and what it did to the Federation, and that it seemed like, uh, you know, again, her descendants were wiped out. But then it was all I think, of a yeah, sudden... Yeah, not her descendants. I think it was more like the people, her family, from the time period. That well, I was going to say, that was everyone... the third thing. That was the other okay, one. Okay, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's the other one I was going to mention. Like, it's, so yeah. it seems... It's, uh, weirdly, it seems like she was sad about three things at once and i and i wasn't really that was the emotional scene that i wasn't fully it sort of getting with her because yeah. Yeah. we saw her say goodbye to her family at the end of last season on her pad and we said the same thing then this is not this is not paying off yes yes yeah, yeah. it was interesting i i it was funny when i saw her putting up the the comms bad memorialized people it was another case where it reminded me of Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Remember in the hallways of Battlestar, they had the memorial with all the people at different yeah, points? Yeah, I think I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, so it reminded yeah. me of that, but it also, yeah, it felt like... 
I don't know. It was always in the background of Battlestar as this thing reminding you of the loss. I just don't know if that's gonna because the loss wasn't really part of this. It was you no know. because it, it was it was lost that we didn't see. But at the same time, again, whose badges are you hanging up? That's what I wasn't clear on. Right. Yeah. Because so, yeah, I was more invested in that scene trying to figure out what she was doing as opposed to. Being right. invested emotionally because there, I I couldn't get invested emotionally in that moment. So was it was it was it the badges of the people that didn't go with them that now they know are dead? Well, see, that's what I thought, but then I thought to myself, well, why does she have? How would she have their badges? Yeah. So it was. Ah, well, I mean, I think it's a nice moment. I just wish it made more <laughs> wish it made more sense because I like yeah. the idea of doing what she did for those that they lost. But I don't. I just don't know who she's memorializing. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, interesting. That, that's something. You know, they could have done that in season one with the Klingon War. Possibly, they could have done that then. So then we have an, another interesting scene with George O. Um, between her and Book. Yep. Um, where she says to him, he asks where Michael is, and he says, "Oh, um, I would have said." She's off, like, being boring and doing the right thing, but in this world, I'm not so sure. And she's starting to think maybe Michael's more sympathetic to her uh, approach to things. Yeah, that was a weird scene for me when they came, when he came aboard. Yeah, I, I thought it worked because at least it's we know Giorgio's always scheming, so what is her scheme? I don't know. Yeah. But it has to do with Michael and somehow luring Michael away from Starfleet, I think. I, I gotta say... No, she gave up pretty much the life of freedom for the life of Starfleet. Right. Although she seems very reluctant and not fully on board. Giorgio? Um, Michael. Michael, yeah. Well, I was gonna say with Michael, and I was getting indications of this in that scene with Tilly, I feel like... Now, I know there's like a year of Michael that we don't really know much about we just know that she became a courier and she's working with book and you know that alluding to the idea that she's different she's changed after being in the cal in that galaxy for the last year but i feel like there's just something she's not telling us i feel like she's hiding something i, oh, I kept totally. yeah like i was getting i was getting suspicious of her throughout the episode it, I, she better be hiding something let me put it that way yeah you're hoping she's hiding something. No, I get I like something, yeah. something about it just felt really off to me, and maybe it was just obvious, but I just, I really just think that there's something she's just not telling us. That she's not yeah, because yeah. yeah, I really expected her to say at a few points something along the lines of you know like I've I've had to do things to survive or yeah. that I wouldn't normally do, but she didn't really go that route. There was also one odd moment with Michael when it's when she was walking down the hallway with Saru, just sort of catching up. And one thing she says that I just thought was very, very strange. She says um, that Michael actually did contact Terrellesium. And they oh, yeah. said they never, never heard, heard of her mother. Now, See, I feel like this is that's too critical a plot point to just gloss over in my opinion because we saw yeah. how critical she was last season. Yeah. And they talked about <laughs> when they go into the future like Good point. 
meeting her mother on Terralesium. Now, like, it's a cornerstone plot point of last season, and I felt like <laughs> yeah. it deserved a little more fleshing out. Like, why couldn't we see this? Yeah, so that leads me to, okay, okay. So, if it's done well, yeah. she's lying. Yeah. If it's not done well, it's just another thing that they told us and didn't show us. Right, and I don't know which one to believe because we've been we've been, <laughs> forgive my pun here, it's it's unintentional. We've been burned several times on this show. Yes. And so like I'm in a way I'm like a I'm, in a way I'm kind of a paranoid viewer. Yes, I'll also use another um, pun punish thing. I'm like, I've learned to control my expectations. Oh boy, yeah. Like I just so yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't know that that I don't know about. Um, it, it's it's almost like with that line of dialogue, and then also the line of dialogue in the first episode of the season with regard to the temporal wars and time travel being banned. It seems like there are just these low-hanging fruits that they know the audience is going to wonder about, and they just sort of sweep them under the rug with a line of dialogue as a way of getting them out of the way to not have to deal with them. Have to deal with them, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. and that's totally what I expect that to be. I yeah. hope she's lying, and it's more important than that, and more substantive. But who knows? I, I I'll be very disappointed if we don't see Gabrielle Burnham. I just think that. She was, I mean, she was important for a time last season. Yeah. But I think she was, there was just enough of her to where I think she was too important to now just forget about. So there needs to be a little more fleshing out. There needs to be a little more fleshing out on that this season, in my opinion. So I'm just, Great. I'm hoping they don't forget about it. I don't want that line of dialogue to just be it. No, that would be. Akin to the second angel line. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we go to Earth. Yep. Which is exciting a little bit. And Earth is in an interesting uh, condition. So, I know we talked a little bit about what we wanted to see about Earth or what we thought we might see. What did you think of what we did see? Um, I was a little... I, I, I honestly don't know. I, I I think I was taming expectations. I was not expecting the Federation to actually be there. Mm-hmm. But I also was not expecting what we saw. Yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I just think that... I mean... Did you feel like it was a little allegorical? Uh, I didn't really, but what I did find was that it it worked for me in that it totally made sense. Hmm. When we went through, when you thought about it, and it's like, okay, so yeah, Starfleet, most of the vessels destroyed. Earth really was on its own. Right. Starfleet wasn't doing anything for it, so they had to defend themselves. And yep. well, no, yeah, it all worked for me. And when we saw Earth at the end, just skipping ahead a little bit, but... I mean, they seem to be in pretty good shape on Earth. I mean, right. they had they had space cruise liners <laughs> going under the Golden Gate Bridge, and they right. had flying cars, and, you know, they look like regular future stuff, so good for Earth. But I will also say, now, it didn't... So, 
it in terms of visually, it didn't look like too much of a leap from what we've seen on the other shows. No, right. Which I think makes sense given the state of the. Yeah, but also at the same time, like I'll also say, how how can you project something that far? How can you even begin to even fathom what something could look like that far into the future, right? So. Well, yeah. Yeah. You can try though. Right. I so. It was one of those things. I was the Discovery crew in that moment because they they're in this uncertain place. They want to go back to Earth because they they know of Earth as a kind of safe haven, safe yes. harbor. And so when you go back to Earth, you expect like, oh hey, welcome back, and so you know, that's what I wanted. That's what they wanted. That's not what we got. But I yeah. But I'm but I'm fine with it because it's it's. I, you still want to you want to surprise your audience, but at the same time, I think you don't want everything to look too familiar right up the, right up at the beginning. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. So yeah, um, and like I said, it yeah. all logically worked, which is oh yeah, all once, I'm looking for once they fleshed it out and everything went the way it did. I mean, it made perfect sense. Because yes. it's not like the thing is, it wasn't like Earth was some kind of cor- now evolved into some sort of like corrupt, you know. Essentially, like is it the is it Earth? Is it would it have been? I because what I was afraid of was like I hope this is not like Earth, as if like maybe how it would be say in the Mirror Universe or something like that. Right or Mad Max. Yeah, like I didn't want just given what we saw. Yes. It was nice to see that Earth was still sort of like that oasis that it that it was that it always happened yeah. yeah it was fine it just they had to yeah. be a little more a lot more protective and careful right right exactly so and that's how they've been able to stay fine which yeah so i guess it could be an allegory for you know um isolationism and uh, pulling back from the world that the united states is doing is that what you meant yeah like yeah i did <laughs> I yeah. did. That's, no, that that's kind sense. of what I was suggesting. Yeah, but they go. So, but the reason they go to Earth is because they receive a. They they have an automated transmission. They have an automated transmission from a Starfleet admiral named Admiral Tall, who is on Earth, saying like, "We'll wait for any other Federation ship that might be out there." So, in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay. So at first, before they get there, I'm thinking, okay. So it's really not that different from uh, what's his name on that isolated outpost. Right, they just seem to be like these pockets of, you know, federate. Sort of like in those old like nuclear war films, when you have those people using ham radios trying to contact whoever's out there, no matter how far away they are. Like right. that's sort of what it. That's what I thought was going to be the case. There were just these isolated pockets of Federation and Starfleet people, who can't yeah. get to each other because there's no dilithium. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that when. The voice cut that the Federation lives on. Yeah. I don't know if that was symbolic yeah. or significant, but the voice kind of lowered a lot in pitch. Like, it was, I thought it sounded like old Spock, actually. So, some review I read for the episode actually said the same thing. It sounded like old Spock. Okay, yeah. good. Well, I'm glad I'm not alone in that. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean... Er, so, with there's no Starfleet of Federation on Earth, but they do have the 
United Earth Defense Force, and they beam aboard Discovery to inspect Discovery. And, you know, Saru, of course, lies to say why they're actually there. He lies and says they're a generational ship who's just getting home and didn't even um, know anything about the burn. So nobody wants to admit the time travel thing. Right. Right. Um, Although I think he admitted it off screen later on just based on a scene that we saw. But... Yeah, it's interesting that they that they don't want to at least reveal that about themselves right away to sort of, you know, as a way to say, like, you know, we're not a threat or something like that, but yeah. Yeah, and I guess if it's illegal, it's good that they don't, but also, how are you going to punish someone who came from the past where it was not illegal and landed in the future where it is? Right. Yeah. So, and, you know, we learned that, as I said, Earth is still the oasis that it is. It's just now heavily protected. Yes. But it's under- and it was kind of cool that we had no idea until after the end when they finally got on there. For all we knew, it seemed like it was going to be a war zone or something. Yeah, like I was afraid of, as you said, like Mad Max, maybe a Blade Runner type of thing getting to Earth. Like I was, that's what I was nervous of, right? And but I was uh-huh. glad that I was glad that they kept it the way it was, essentially. But you know, we learned that the reason why they're so protective over the planet is that. You know, so Earth actually now is able to generate an entire force field around the around the planet, which they need because there's a sort of people are coming to try to raid Earth of its dilithium, specifically by a guy named uh, by an enemy named Wen. And of course, when Discovery shows up, Discovery being loaded with dilithium, that's the first thing that he wants. So yes. Yeah. Which we should also mention, I mean, they took Book's ship on board because it could, has a cloaking thing that can also cloak, like, the contents, so it cloaked the dilithium. Yeah. But Wen was smart enough to know that you don't travel that far in space without having dilithium. So right. It over. One, right. And, uh, oh, and one thing I forgot to mention about Earth, so just a little bit of uh, info. So we do learn that, um, yeah, we learn that Earth is no longer part of the Federation, that the Federation and Starfleet haven't been on Earth for over a hundred years and that most of the ships destroyed in the burn were actually federation ships but again that calls into question to me for me is how far reaching was this event did this affect the romulan empire did it affect the klingon empire like how far out does this event extend which i hope that we do find out right which yeah. Did you notice that when they said, well, how, why did you not burn up in the burn? Yeah. And he said, well, we were not in warp at the time. Right. So does that mean it only happened in the ships that were using dilithium at the time? No, because the, when we see it, at, when we see the ships explode in that flashback, they weren't at warp. Yeah, so that right. was interesting. I'm surprised they, I thought they were going to call him out then and say, wait a minute, that's not I, how it works, dude. I think he was just using some sort of, like, facile excuse or something like that, right? <laughs> But no, we, whatever you could think of, whatever you could think of, yeah. But when we see the when we see all those Federation ships explode during the yeah. burn, they're all stationary. So, yeah. So that was interesting. That that excuse should not have worked. I hope we didn't uncover a plot hole. <laughs> but anyway, so back to when. So when is yeah? He's a villain. He's coming to Earth. He wants Discovery's dilithium. So now they're in kind of a situation, and with no Federation around. This gives Saru the opportunity to so to basically now Federation their way out of it. Saru, by the way, a point that I neglected to mention, which I have to give you credit for. You were right. Saru did become the captain of Discovery. Yes. 
I'm so I, glad. I, I kept saying it was going to be Michael, but it ended up mm-hmm. being Saru. Yeah. So, nice job. For story, I'm just happy story-wise that yeah. it wasn't Michael. Right. Um, but when they get to Earth, you know, as I mentioned, they beam up, they beam on all these inspectors, and then Wen arrives, and you know, Saru is very adamant about handling the situation because he's saying that, you know, he's, we are his problem, you're not his problem, and then we get in, we find ourselves in a very sort of Star Trek Next Generation like dilemma. Yes. Which takes up the rest of which most of the rest of the episode, and this is where I was saying earlier, like to you that. Very much like New Eden, which coincidentally is directed by the same person, Jonathan Frakes. Um, Whoa, good job, Frakes! Yeah, this he is. Didn't spin the camera around. This is so Discovery. I think has earned another Trek, Star Trek merit badge in that they did an excellent job with using Discovery and Saru and the Federation as a way to mediate between these two peoples which end up only which end up being the same people anyway yes yes and it was great because again it's the contrast to michael so even if it wasn't the plan it's still it allows me to put the her disintegrating all the andorans and variants into a like well this just goes to show michael has sort of turned her back on some of the starfleet maybe she had to but saru and the discovery crew are gonna be the beacon of that light and as i wrote in my notes they're going to leave everywhere they go yeah like i i think it was great to see because it, it reminded me of both the original series and next generation it reminded me of the original series specifically in that that episode let that be your last battlefield which is the the two guys with the black paint on one side and white paint on the other yes but it's it, the way it reminded the, the reason why it reminded me of that it was just the ca- a, a case of well, we're the same people. We don't even need to be doing this. Like, they re- when is revealed to be actually be a human, just wearing some crazy helmet. It looked like Forlom from from Empire. And yeah, and so Saru and Michael basically mediate the situation between the two of them in very much the same way, like say a Jean Luc Picard might have done. Yep. And or if Kirk were there, he would have said, "Can't you see?" Right. You're the same. I mean, <laughs> we didn't get that, unfortunately. The way they get to that point is at the expense of, say, of Giorgio just like ripping his helmet off and saying, like, oh, diplomacy takes too long, which I thought was funny. But um, you <laughs> yes, know, obviously, yeah. that's something that wouldn't have happened on, on Next Generation. But I, I, my hope is it gave us a nice taste of what we can potentially like. Is this the role that Discovery is going to play? this season are they going to be the ones sort of linking everybody back together again like this right right and will michael be bringing that sort of um uh um mariner energy of you know like because what michael did did help solve it in a peaceful way but it also broke all the rules (laughs) right it's you know it's funny because I was thinking about how this show may map it out this season. And I know that a lot of... I was making a lot of comparisons originally to Voyager. In that Voyager being their lost, they're still going to follow Starfleet principles. But as we discuss this, I'm also... Because, you know, I was hoping that there would be a similar struggle like 
you know, why do we need to even follow Starfleet principles at all? Like, it doesn't matter anymore. Like, I thought there would be sort of like that potential struggle, right? Right. But there's also, now that I'm just saying this out loud, there's also kind of a similarity now to Enterprise in that in Enterprise's time, the Federation doesn't exist yet. There's no prime directive. Right. And they're kind of writing the rules or establishing the rules as they go, right? And I'm wondering if this is something Discovery is going to do. Like, yes, we have our principles, but maybe our old principles aren't always going to work. We need to now create some new ones or something, depending on what this, this universe is like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, is in other words, are they going to be... Is it is it basically like Birth of the Federation again? Like, is it very much like the way Enterprise was forming the Federation, and now they're doing it, and now it's like a rebirth of the Federation this time? It seems that way. Yeah. I mean, perhaps that's what it'll be. Perhaps they will assemble a new... Uh, group a new a new federation. I, to me, that at the end of it, that sounds really cool to me. Now that I say it out loud that way, like, you know, I'm not saying that Discovery needs to use Enterprise as its guidebook and do exactly what it did. But for instance, Enterprise ended with them signing the Federation Charter. Like, can you imagine Discovery doing something similar? Like. Only this time it's like, yeah, it's like, again, it's the rebirth of the Federation. We're doing this all over again. Right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That that to me just sounds really cool. I just, that, that sounds that sounds kind of cool to me. It does, it does. And it, can not, and it makes sense because, like I said, they're going to be leaving goodwill in their wake everywhere they go. And that's what happened here where they first they wanted to you know, shoot die. And now they're, and then by the end of it, they were, you know. You're welcome here anytime and all that. So maybe that's what it will be. Maybe it'll be less of an actual, even a plan. It's just like they're going to go and they're going to yeah. do this kind of work, this diplomacy and this, um, you know, uh, conflict resolution and just build goodwill and then turn that later into something. So one one person we haven't mentioned yet is the new character that appears on the show, which is Adira. Now, Adira is this 16, lack of a better way of putting it, a 16-year-old whiz kid who was one Or as... The, I like how... Um, the Wesley uh, Crusher. I like how what's-his-name says it. Yeah, wh- I, how did he say it? Uh, he called her a tween. A tween inspector. Yeah. So Adira is one of the inspectors who comes aboard Discovery. And... Adira kind of sabotages the transport of their transporter so they can't beam off discovery the inspection so the inspection team can't beam off discovery and adira uses that time to study discovery in more detail and and establishes a kind of you know feisty and then later sort of nice relationship with stamets which i think is going to basically be the the arc for them this coming season i think i think Adira is going to be sharing a lot of scenes with with Stamets come this season. Mm-hmm. And we learn that Adira is a human, 16 years old, with a Trill symbiont, symbiont inside of her. Yes. Um, we learn that Adira is actually the Admiral that they were looking for. So... Uh, 
uh, the symbiont that's inside of Adira has all the Admiral's memories and whoever else. Mm-hmm. And one line that I caught was that Saru and Michael didn't know who the Trill were. The Trill, of course, being prominently yes. featured as Jadzia Dax on Deep Space Nine. Which fits, right? Because we don't know they don't know about them till the future. Yep. And Excellent. But here was a nice touch. Now this is sort of the this is so I think what I'm about to say is an example of them doing it right, doing something right with regard to so what I'm what I'm where I'm going with this is that Saru says, Oh yeah, I used the sphere data to learn about the trill. And I'm like, okay, good. That works. Okay. Yeah. I, I I don't know. There's just something about that that I just thought like, okay, perfect. Like you don't write it as if you already know who they are. Make an effort yeah. to say, yeah, I'm referencing something from season two. I use the sphere data to see who these okay. trill were. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I would I, I would have preferred that he just asked the def- Earth Defense Forces people. Hmm. Because I don't like the idea that the sphere data knows everything for some reason. Well, and I think but, you and I were like, I think at first, like, just forget about the sphere data, like, what you know? Yeah, but, just Google it. Um, no, I, I, I actually thought that was, I actually thought that was a nice touch, though. It's funny, I heard it and I didn't even put it into my memory. Yeah. But you're right, that was tasteful use of the yeah. sphere. I, I thought that was, I thought that was a good use of something from an old. Uh, plot point from season two. I thought that worked very much. Well. And I think this is a neat idea that they will have this connection to Starfleet through this trill mm-hmm. because, and, and it's also good that, well, but she, she can't access, I mean, they can't access all the memories yep. because um, otherwise it would be kind of boring. Just, they would just sit down and do a debrief, you know, and we'd right. learn everything. But so it makes more sense that they, um, they can only access little bits here and there as the, as the plot needs, I'm sure. Yeah. But Adira's going to stay in Discovery with them as they go to... Well, originally they were going to say, you know, she's going to stay on board so they can go find this Admiral, and then she reveals, well, I'm actually the Admiral. So now you're thinking, like, okay, well, why are you even staying on board then? But uh, she's going to be there as they go to find the... go out to figure out the mystery... That is the burn. Yeah. So, and I think Adira is going to basically, and I don't mean this negatively, but Adira is going to more or less be Discovery's Wesley Crusher. Interesting. Possibly. Yeah. If Wesley Crusher had an admiral inside him. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking of like the 16 year old whiz kid, right? Oh that's, yeah. Yeah. That's I don't, but I don't mean it. I don't mean it in a negative sense though. But I think also this time it makes a little bit more sense too because she's got the knowledge of 960 years of science, more science than they do. And and this was something that Inverse.com had been speculating about could, because they don't reveal it, but could Adira essentially have the Dax symbiont inside? It's possible. Who knows if... Dax ever became an admiral, or yep. Dax the symbiote rather became an admiral. So, and let me tell you something. Like, I would be totally open to that. I don't think it would hurt to do that. I think it would be a nice connection to a legacy character. And you know, why not? I'd be, I'd be totally into that idea. It's, yeah, it's I'm so sure it far into the future. So, like, why not? Yeah, and I'm sure it wouldn't play into it in any way, unless they go to the deep. 
Unless they go to what? Unless they go to Deep Space Nine. If it still exists. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they could even do that too. But, yep. yeah, I'd be totally fine if, if, if Adira had the Dax symbiont inside. Yeah, me too. Me too. I think it'd be a nice touch. Yeah, so, you know what? Honestly, I like the, this new character for one big reason. I'm just kind of tired of the Tilly Stamets dynamic. Like, there's not, I feel like there's not much left to explore there. Yeah. And they're sort of the science people, so they would always be the ones... Um, and, oh, Michael is the science officer, or was, which is, again... Yeah, now I she's going to totally, be... Totally one. forgot about that. Yeah, well, she's going to be number one now, but yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, they need another personality in the science, uh, in, in engineering, I think. Yeah. Agreed. No Spock. No, no. Yeah. But, so the episode basically ends with them, with us now getting a glimpse of Earth, the surface of Earth. And it was nice. It was tasteful. But I have to go back to what we were talking about earlier in the episode. The the emotional weight of the scene wasn't doing it for me for two for really for two reasons. And I'm not saying it was a bad scene. I just wish that I could feel more of the emotional weight to it. So they basically they beam down to Earth. They go onto the grounds of you know what used to be Starfleet Academy, and they find this gigantic tree that they used to study under while they were at the academy. And they, by the way, being um, Tilly, Iwasakin, Detmer, um, Reese, and Bryce. They all go down, and they're like, oh yeah, we studied under this tree, and we studied under this tree. And uh, these, are, these are basically, aside from Tilly, these are basically the, the background bridge crew that we see. Yes. The ones that we, we were promised we'd get more screen time last season. Yes. The actress who used to play... Um, uh... Arian. Thank you. Thank yep. you. Yes. So they all go down with Tilly, and, you know, and aside from Tilly, the rest of these actors, these are probably... This is probably the most dialogue they've gotten on the show, other than just giving some sort of like status report on the bridge, mm-hmm. right? Saying like shields up, Captain. Communicate, you know. And yeah. well, we got a little bit more out of Detmer. We got a little bit more out of Detmer, but the the problem is, and it, it's it's not the actors; it's actually unfair to the actors, in my opinion. Yes. Is that they, so? It, I see two issues with this. Number one, where they go to that big tree like it would have been nice if they were able to go someplace that had already been previously established that we see 900 Mm. like we never saw that tree before right right i mean we know what starfleet academy is and that sort of thing but like nothing nothing about it felt specific to discovery like it wasn't like they went down to some location on earth that we saw a few episodes in the first or second season Right. Well, we didn't... I, I know, but like, okay. Wh- but where I'm going with it is like they didn't go. It, it's nothing that's like there's no continuity there. It's something that's been previously established. So I think yeah. because of that, I think that that kind of disconnects me somewhat emotionally from it. And then here's why I liked it. Here's but I liked I liked it though. Yeah. Here's why I liked it a lot because 
nothing to do with the, them. It had to do with just, I've had that feeling when I've gone back to my college. Yeah. And you look and it's like, was your world. Yeah. And now everyone that you knew is gone and it's still there. And it feels like weird to see it. Like this was, you know, this was my everyday place, all these places. And now they're, they're still here, but I'm, my life is somewhere else. So it's, I don't know. I think it tapped into that kind of universal feeling a little bit. Yeah, I could go with that. I mean, it, it's, it's the whole, are you, are you describing a sort of like going home to an empty house thing? Sort of. Sort of. Yeah. I think it's, it's very much for me when it's a public place, like a college, because it becomes like your second home for a while. And then right. you sort of let go of it and it becomes someone else's second home, a whole other group of people. And it's just interesting that it just keeps going on like that. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I just... Yeah, I, I wish... But see, I agree with you. I just wish that me as the audience could feel the same way that they do. Yeah. Instead yeah. of just, wa- instead something of just that watching something we knew it. from other Starfleet scenes or something, you know? Right. Right, yeah. Um, but what I did like, and this was the second use of this, was the when they as they pan out from them from the tree and they pan out to Starfleet, they played those original mm-hmm. um, theme cues, and they also used it when they very perfectly when they made the the agreement between yeah. when and the Earth Defense Forces. Yep. So they're deploying it at the right moments when they're yeah. tapping into Star Trek, as we know it. And I'll just wrap up my thoughts. So in the scene on Earth, like I, I just I wish that you know, with the secondary characters, the the additional bridge characters, I want to have more scenes with them. I want to, when they say those sort of things, I want it to feel like I know them now. Right, we still don't have much. We still have not gotten much time with them, other than just them being on the bridge and giving a status report. Right, like I still, I want to. I had to look up all their names before this episode because I forgot what they were. Right, I knew Detmer, I knew we watched him, but I forgot the other two guys' names. So, like, I need to. So, that's a problem, and I feel like that's a problem for me. And it's just, I don't feel like they're doing those characters. Yeah, just they need like their episode. They do. Or they an do. episode that focuses on them. I remember we got one with the Woshkin that she sort of was a focus on, actually, on New Eden, right? New Eden, yeah. New yeah. Eden. Yeah. So I was hoping at that point, like, wow, we're, the characters are going to get some focus, but it didn't really happen. Well, and I think this ties back into the emotional, unearned emotional moments thing, because as we were talking about this before recording, we were on the phone just planning, like, when we want, when we want to do this. You know, I... I just I feel like the show I feel like one of the show's failings is that they just they don't have a very interesting supporting cast but also like when you look at this like like Dr. Culber wasn't in this episode Jet Reno wasn't in this episode like they don't appear in every episode and so I didn't mind losing them but like but the, I think that, so but I think as a result of that, it's like figure out who your main oh, focus yeah. is. Who right, is your, at least we, we yeah. see Jet Reno a lot. She has lines. We know her personality. Right. And yeah, like Jet uh, Reno could have been there with them, and that would have given us at least some connection. She could have been cracking jokes. So like, right. 
Who knows what? Like, I enjoy watching Doug Jones play Saru quite a bit, right? I enjoy watching Sonequa Mutton-Green. I like Anthony Rapp. But, like, I just, I want, it's so hard for me to articulate, but, like, I just, I don't feel like it's a very, compared to the other shows, even the ones after this one, I don't feel like it's a very, aside from those names I mentioned, I don't feel like it's, they're backed up by a very strong, compelling cast. And I feel like I only say that because they haven't... We, been, I mean, we don't mean the cast is in the action. We mean the cast is in the character. Right. Like, they're just, they're not given enough to do. Yeah. And and sometimes they don't even appear in all the episodes. And I think that's in and of itself problematic, but I think it's also more problematic when you only have 10, 13, 15 episodes a season. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So... Definitely. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a large cast on that show. Yes. Yes. And, yeah. Um, this is a totally related, but also not. I wouldn't, you know, whatever, right? Yeah. But I would like it if Tilly would put her hair back up. <laughs> okay. It's just, I don't know, the hair down bugs me. Yeah, like, what? I think, I think it just seems out of place in Starfleet. Well, it <laughs> doesn't matter now. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, she can establish her own hair guidelines for the new Starfleet. That's true. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, I want to, th- that's that's a gripe I have with the show. I just, I think that, I think the writers are sometimes unfair to the rest of the cast. And I wish they would bring them more front and center sometimes. And I would like if they did if they maybe borrowed from lower decks, right? Like, yeah, we, we sang the praises of lower decks because yeah. we thought that they did it. They did it right. And it being, they were able to maintain these character arcs really well and it yes. all paid off in the end. And that's what I, that's what I would love discovery yeah, to do. Because think about who it is that we do see regularly. We always see Stamets. We always yeah. see Tilly. We obviously always see Michael and Saru, and we see Detmer. We don't necessarily hear from Detmer, but we right. see her a lot more. Right. But out of those four characters, I don't know what Tilly or um, Stamets' deal is now. You know, I don't know what they're doing story like arc and story wise. As, as I was thinking about this, I was asking myself, like, when if I run down the list of characters on Discovery, cast on Discovery. What what role do they play on the show? And I don't mean like character wise. Like what is their character archetype on the show? What do they yes. you know what I mean? And I and I couldn't really articulate what it was. Like what what role do they play in the show with the rest of the cast? Right. You know it's I mean? almost like Tilly used to kind of um like uh uh what's his name from Lower Decks? Rutherford. No. Boimler? The other one. Boimler? Yeah, Boimler. Because yeah. remember at first she was very much like all about the rules and yep. she yep. was all about like moving up and being in the officer training. Yep. Not a not a not as you know, terrible of a person as Boimler. Yeah. Yeah, a little more Rutherford in there for like nerdiness or even Tendy. Yeah. Um I, I actually think yeah, like, more like Tendy. Yeah, but I haven't seen that in a while. 
Now she's kind of somber. But you know, you know what I think it is too. I think that on this on Discovery, I feel like you don't have a character or characters that really sort of resonate. Right, like you, you don't have like that. You don't have that breakout character. Like who is the, and I don't mean like who is the data of the show. Who is the Spock of the show? You love the Doctor on Voyager. You love Garrick on Deep Space Nine. Like who are those break? There's no breakout character on the show, in my opinion. I know like, who it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be Jet Reno, I think now. Right. Because, like, the doctor from um, Voyager, you know, she's kind of like mm. the little chip on her shoulder. You know, she's a little more... Right. But yeah, we don't see her A little more funnier, I guess. We don't see her enough. I know. And, yeah. I mean, do you think... And she only interacts with Stamets. <laughs> yes. And, like, think of it like this, too. Do you think there's something to be said about a show like this where the only... Where the biggest breakout character on this show was only on for one season and then gets spun off into his own show and of course I speak of course of Captain Pike and was a legacy character and was a legacy character but might as well have been a new ca- I, I mean honestly I'm still yeah. convinced Anson Mount could have been playing somebody totally different and still would have been people still yeah. would have wanted to cause it, I, don't I, know, I, I think Saru I think Saru counts I think Saru is the closest I think he's absolutely yeah, cause he's the like closest firmly yeah, he's firmly yep. you could I could picture him on any ship crew and he would work. Yeah. Like where it's like you can't picture Michael like on imagine Michael on Picard's Enterprise. No way. I think all of the characters I used examples of from the previous shows, minus Captain Pike. <laughs> and I didn't name these characters intentionally, but um with this in mind, but they all serve as basically mirrors to humanity. Right? Which is a perfect Star Trek character archetype, right? We, somebody who observes humanity and finds, you know, humanity interesting, maybe doesn't understand humor, like things like that, right? We don't have anybody mm-hmm. like that on Discovery, and I no. think Saru is close, but we don't have yes. anybody like that. And I just think that, I just think that there's no. The show does not have a breakout character that that resonates with people. In my, I mean, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, here's right. what I mean, maybe could happen that would be cool. Maybe Giorgio. What if Adira? What if Adira? What if I mean, all we saw of the current Earth is the the ships and the you know the boats and so on. So what if Adira comes from an Earth where they actually are very different? Yeah. Right. And so she is the fish out of water in the humanity because she sees how people from 960 years ago behave and get along. So maybe that will be like her new world that she has to adapt. That would be cool. Yeah. I, I mean, that'd be I nice. Mean, it, I hope. Yeah. Might, might be what happens. Might not. Be. Yeah. I th- and I think, yeah, I, I kind of feel like when I discuss it like this, that's what I feel like is the show's underlying, one of the underlying issues of the show. I just, I don't feel like, and it has nothing to do with the cast. It's not the cast. I just think that the, I don't, I sometimes just don't believe the writing does the cast justice. And Totally agree. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And I mean, on Picard, right? Like it was a small cast. I wouldn't necessarily say there was a sort of breakout character, but it was a much smaller cast. It was a much sort of, you know, aligned show that knew what it wanted to do. I guess maybe Elnor, but even then everybody had their own sort of character archetype. Everybody had a role on that show. I don't feel like Discovery yes. truly has that just yet. No, I think maybe in the beginning in. they did. Kind of, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. More so, because um, Stamets was like the cranky scientist. Tilly was the new to the ship, like, wide-eyed yep. um, rookie, you know? Yep. Um, yeah, so I think it's... Uh, Alien Man Saru <laughs> was, um, was you know, he was an alien, so he was dealing with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> dealing with... Well, Joe no, like was, every, like, you know, the steady captain. No, that's all you have to say, he's the alien, because every Trek show has to have an alien. Yeah. He was the alien, yeah. so he was dealing with that. Yeah, like, it was an issue for him. Yeah. yeah. So Joe was the steady captain. Michael was the kind of, like, over-emotional, but reliable... Yeah. Yeah, it's like so. It's like it started off with it, and then it evolved or devolved. Right, and and I'll of course wrap this up. But it's like, you know, when I watched Voyager every week, when I watched DS9 every week, there were always there was always like that one character that I looked forward to seeing. I don't feel yet that this. I mean, they had it. Discovery had it last season with Captain Pike, but now they don't have it anymore. So yeah, there's Mm. no, there's none of that for me yet this season. And I and I and I. I just wish that they would, that they would do something, that they would have that. So, um, I predict Adira will be our character that we look forward to seeing. Let's hope. I mean, they we still have there are still some characters who have yet to be introduced on the show this season. So we still have a few more to go. So we'll right, see. yeah, um, right. So overall, my final thoughts. Um, I like the episode. I think that they're keeping. I don't feel like they're throwing, they're piling too much on to the show. I still feel like it's remaining pretty simple. I like that this episode felt like kind of a, you know, it felt kind of like a Planet of the Week episode with the crew showing up to a strange new world through the force of their own ideals and making it a better place. I find it really intriguing that this strange new world is actually Earth. It's their own backyard. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I think it's bringing the 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 trick, you know, ideals that we want to see. Agreed. And so, an improvement. I think a steady improvement. Episode one, episode two, episode three. Each one I liked more than the previous. Yeah, and one last point. So I was thinking about how over the course of the last few weeks, like how I feel about the state of the future and like this whole dilithium subplot, like having detonated and, you know, dilithium is, is, you know, in short supply. And I'm thinking like, you know, and I'm like, it's such an odd choice. Like, why would they even, uh, you know, why would they even do that? And I realized, mm-hmm. I think the dilithium subplot is basically a way to sort of level the playing field. It's a way of getting around the idea that Discovery is a ship that's 930 years out of date. They've got a sport oh, drive. Yeah. They've got dilithium. They can get around. Nobody else can. 
right? I mean, you yeah, obviously so have, like, it's sort of yeah. Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, people would just blow them out of space the first uh, first time they had a absolutely. So, I think good point. Yeah. So, I, at first, I thought like that's I'm like I'm like that's kind of that's kind of weak sauce. That's all they could dilithium. What? But the more I thought of it, I thought no, actually, it makes sense. That's how they bring. That's how they give Discovery kind of the upper hand in this future. Because obviously the elephant in the room is, how do you navigate some? How do you navigate almost a thousand years in the future with a ship that old, with all this advanced technology around you? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So my view on that has kind of changed. I think it's. I think it's a. I think it's actually a, a good idea that they did it that way. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. So. Um, so yeah, so I was I was satisfied with this week, and I'm looking obviously looking forward to to more. How about yourself? Yeah, I, like I said, I'm liking each episode more. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to meeting our new character, like really getting to know our new character. Yep. Seeing Adira in in the mix with the crew, I think we need a new personality in there. Like I said, just overall. Or, yeah, yeah, a new personality, or give us some of the other personalities, but that doesn't seem to be happening, so at least this is a way to get another person highlighted. And the last thing I'm going to do, so the, it seems like the mystery of the season still is uncovering what the burn was, what the burn was, and we learned more about it this week. So I think what I'm going to start doing is each week devote a few minutes to just say, you know, what have we learned this week about the burn? And we did learn a little bit more this week. So we learned that in the beginning of the episode, that around the year 2958, the dilithium supply in the galaxy began to dry up, which caused the Federation to start trials on alternative warp drive designs, but none proved reliable. Earth later seceded from the Federation, and the Federation and Starfleet relocated their headquarters around the year 3089, and we're told that the Burns' devastation flashed in an instance, in an instant, excuse me, across all known space, which Stamets says should be impossible. So, yeah, the Burn is intriguing. I'm fearful that it's going to get confusing. But I don't want it to go the Red Angel way, obviously. So um, yes. I think I want to add one more thing that we learned. Yeah. In a way. Yep. Because Saru was able to make up a really bad excuse that did not fit with the logic of what happened. Yep. With the burn, I think that tells us that not everyone knows exactly what really happened with the burn. Yeah. And even though, like the the. I forget her name, who, was, who seemed to be the head of the United Space Earth Defense. She says, um, at one right. point she says, yeah, everybody lost somebody to the burn. Now, I said last week or the week before last, I said, you know, I know we were told that the burn happened like, you know, 100, 120 years ago. I still feel like it just happened. People to me still seem to be talking right. about it like confused. it just happened. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, so we go back to the first guy at the Federation outpost, and he it was his grandfather who was in Starfleet. So it was two generations removed. Right. 
But they all still... But, but it the, did seem like... Uh, yeah, they all keep referring to the burn. Like, maybe... Similar to the way we may talk about... Maybe, like, similar to the way we may refer to, like, say, 9-11. Well, right, so my first thought was to name something like that, like, even, like, uh, Pearl Harbor or something. Those were too yeah. small scale. Right. That's the thing. Hmm. Those are only limited to a small group of people. That's why I try to think of the Holocaust something that affected more like millions. But I guess my question then, though, is, is it the scale of it, or is it more when it actually happened? Or do you think it's both? Uh, I I think the scale of it makes it resonate. I think if it's large scale, it resonates through time more. Yeah. But you do make a good point. I think it's written in a confusing way. It's written. It's written like it. It's written as if like the people who were talking about it remember it happening. Were there yes. when it happened? Yes. Right. That's what it. Yeah, because we said we all lost someone. It feels more like people talking about coronavirus or something. It's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. I lost my wife. I lost my kid. I lost my parents. Right. Not like my great grandfather died. So yeah. So that. Now again, I don't know if that's. I have no way of knowing if that's if there's a, if those specific words are being if it's being said that way for a reason. You know, we have ten more episodes to find this out. Possibly, I mean, I don't know if it's going to go into next season, but um, yeah, yeah, I, 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 it's obviously questionable. I want to know. We all want to know. So, if I was to speculate. I would say that, I mean, I like your idea that Book may somehow be involved in it in some way, but I just feel like, at least right now, and it's purely based off the way they're talking, that the burn to me seems to seems like it happened much sooner than it actually did. But it's solely right. just based off the way people are talking. It's solely based off language, so. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, I guess that's going to do it for this week. And we'll be back next week. We'll be back next week to discuss the next episode of Discovery, which is going to be titled Forget Me Not. And I've just got one quick, very quick news item. So next month is going to be a month-long Star Trek celebration on Amazon.com. So CBS, Paramount, and Amazon, and IDW Publishing are going to join forces on exclusive offers and products. So just to read a quick sentence here from Star Trek, Star Trek.com. So throughout November, fans can get free digital Star Trek comics from IDW Publishing through Amazon's Cosmicology. Cos- comicsology. Com- I can't even say that word. When they spend $25 or more on select Star Trek products on Amazon.com. Wow, well, so, good for Star Trek for trying to do something, you know, yeah. marketing-wise. I feel this like is two things. First, we had Star Trek Day. Now we have this. So, you know, good for it. Yeah, I, I, and I feel like they don't. Maybe I'm. I could be totally wrong. I just don't know if I follow it well enough. But I just I feel like they don't do enough like exclusive offers and stuff like with the Star Trek comics. I feel like they don't place a lot of they don't place enough emphasis on the Star Trek comics. So, yeah, I think 
I don't know. It's my feeling that with comics, you have to have a demand before you can have exclusives. Yeah. When you're just trying to get anybody to read it, that's got to be your focus. Yeah. But that's cool. Free, free ones. And, you oh, know, I cool. mean, especially when it's comicsology. Comicsology is just their digital comics. I mean, how hard is it to give away a couple, few free ones to try to get someone hooked so they'll buy some more? Yeah. Well, and especially now because I know in the past it hasn't really been. Like, when I say past, like, pre-discovery. But a lot of the comics and even books, novels that get released in this era of Trek, um, they make it canon. So... Yeah, that's good. You know, it's not required reading, but it definitely factors in to what you see on TV. Yeah, but it, so. it, it quote-unquote matters. It does. To the story. You may see a connection, or you may know a little tidbit right. of information when you yeah. see something. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's yeah. cool. Oh, good yeah. job, Paramount. Yep, and uh, anything you want to mention really quick before we get out of here for the... Uh, well, we got the Mandalorian podcast. coming up. Yep, the Mandalorian. Voices from the Armory, the Mandalorian, a Star Trek, a in Star Trek we trust, Star Wars, the Mandalorian podcast. And we're going to be doing that probably sometime this weekend. Yes, uh, yes. Yep. Looking yep. forward to an exciting show full of Star Trek no Star Trek, but lots of Star Wars. It's going to be interesting for me. But Evan has some homework to do to prepare for the first episode. Yep. He's got some... I mean, I know what I'll do. I'll share those on Twitter, exactly what Kevin's watching. So um, we're setting up um, just some YouTube videos so that he has some understanding of some of the new characters. Well, not new, but new to the Mandalorian characters that we're going to be seeing, like uh, Sabine... Ren and Ahsoka Tano and a little bit about the Darksaber and a tiny bit about when Maul took over Mandalore. Yep. It'll be cool. Or at least not Death be- Watch. But not before yeah. I watch all of my horror movies tomorrow because tomorrow, of course, as of this recording, tomorrow, of course, is Halloween. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you, still, you have to watch The Mandalorian also, so you got work to do here. I do. I do, but I'm not doing that tomorrow. Okay. That's whatever. It's between you and your god. <laughs> My Star Trek god. All right, and anybody listening, you can tweet us at Star Trek We Trust on Twitter, and you can email us at in Star Trek We Trust at gmail.com. We read everything. Or, for all your Star Wars concerns, um, Armory Voices at, at Twitter. At Armory Voices. Do you have an email? On the old tweeter. No. Yes, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, you have, you leave them in suspense. You have to listen to the Mandalorian podcast. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. All, All right. right. Good. Later, skaters. Peace out.